This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, good morning again, and welcome to the first Saturday morning show of the new year and the new decade, 2020. Orion Samuelson here with you to talk about the world's most basic and important industry, agriculture, producing food to feed a growing population here on the planet and uh, we've been spending a few years, well, maybe a few decades, talking about agriculture and the importance it has for all of us, not only to feed us and to put clothes on our back and fuel in the tank, but also it provides a lot of uh, work and uh, jobs for the working people here in the United States. So, Thank you for joining us every Saturday morning here on the Saturday Morning Show. And I want to continue the discussion that I had with uh, uh, the uh, earlier host here on the show. And so let me continue that discussion that Matt started and that we continued. But uh, I've been to Australia a couple of times over the decades and have been out in farm country and uh, in the outback country. And this is just a tragic story. Bushfires burned dangerously out of control on Australia's east coast yesterday, fanned by high temperatures, strong winds that had firefighters battling to save lives and property as a change in wind conditions merged several of the large fire fronts. By late evening yesterday, Victoria had 14 fires rated at emergency or evacuate warning levels. New South Wales had 11 rated emergency, with more than 150 others burning across the states. New fires have started and others had broken containment lines. According to uh, Rural Fire Service Commissioner Shane Fitzsimmons of New South Wales, there are a number of fires that are coming together, very strong, very large, intense fires that are creating some of these fire-generated thunderstorms. And unfortunately, we've still got many hours to go of these elevated and dangerous conditions. Uh, The Bureau of Meteorology in Australia said conditions were deteriorating rapidly as a gusty southerly wind uh, change had pushed up the coast and smoke plumes from the fires triggered storms. And according to uh, spokesmen, expect to be busy managing these fires for at least the next eight weeks. And... uh, Here are some of the highlights of what's happening across Australia at the moment. Temperatures topped uh, 113 degrees Fahrenheit in much of the Sydney metropolitan area, with Penrith recording a high of 120 degrees. Canberra, the national capital, recorded a temperature 
equally as high after 4 p.m., a record for the territory. And uh, he said, as the fires have flared, many towns have been isolated as major and minor roads are closed. Some fires are generating their own storm systems, which create the risk of lightning strikes generating new fires. In South Australia, two people died on Kangaroo Island. That's a popular holiday spot not far from the coast. Six people remain unaccounted for in Victoria, and the focus today is preventing more loss of life, according to authorities. National parks have been closed, and people urged earlier this week to evacuate large parts of the south coast and Victoria's northeastern regions. And that's a place where a lot of holiday holiday makers uh, go at the peak of Australia's summer school holiday. So say a prayer for the people in Australia because they are faced with some immense challenges right now. And uh, they're evacuating people, uh, a thousand people that were evacuated by sea yesterday. And the first of these evacuees arrived near Melbourne Saturday morning after a 20-hour journey by boat. And a second ship with about a thousand people landed in the afternoon. Uh, I know the California and Arizona wildfires are serious situations but uh, I don't think we've approached anything this large and this serious as the people of Australia are undergoing right now. So uh, 12 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show and uh, no fires at the moment in the Midwest and uh, let's hope we keep them that way. But uh, there is that weather situation that we had during 2019. We're going to talk to Paul Georgie of Allendale, based in McHenry, Illinois, a little bit later to uh, get his, he's not a meteorologist, but just to get his feeling on what we're going to experience moisture-wise and agriculturally here in the main production area of the Midwest. Speaking of that, uh, a story this week on Minnesota's dairy farmers. 17 years ago, Paul and Craig Yerdy went all in on the dairy operation they run with their father in West Central Illinois, or Minnesota. They expanded their herd from 125 cows to 300, and they built a barn and a new milking parlor. They've milked their share of cows and can do so if they need to, but with so many other duties like growing crops, feeding the animals, managing the farm's finances, the men wouldn't be able to run their operation efficiently without a few hired hands. But the challenge that family in Minnesota and a lot of other dairy families are facing, where do they get people to milk cows? When I was on the dairy farm in Wisconsin, Kids milked the cows along with their parents, but uh, today kids don't want to get up uh, early in the morning to milk cows, and uh, they don't want to spend as much time doing dairy work as possible. So where do families like the Geertys in Minnesota go to find labor? 
the Latino immigrant population that lives in the area of Wilmar, Minnesota. These days, four Latino employees milk the cows in the afternoon, clean the stalls and milking machines, and then milk the cows again in the early morning around 2.30 a.m. And Paul Geerty said of his crew, we need them. I don't know how we would do it without them. And it wasn't always this way because, as I said, there was a time when high school students or even college students would stop by dairy farms uh, looking for work like baling hay or doing the other tough manual jobs on the farms. And according to Mr. Geerty, that hasn't happened now for 20 years. The only people willing to work on their farm these days are Latinos new to the country and looking to make a living. So that's just one more challenge that uh, people who take care of cows and make the milk for the dairy products that we enjoy uh, throughout the year, that's one of the challenges they're going through, finding people to milk the cows. And uh, when Alice in Dairyland visited our studios uh, last month, she brought along some dairy facts from the state of Wisconsin, still known as America's Dairyland on their license plates. And I'd like to share some of the interesting dairy statistics from the state of Wisconsin. Number one dairy state, 23% of the total dairy farms in the United States are in Wisconsin. And in 2017, Wisconsin produced over 30 billion pounds of milk. That's 14% of the total U.S. milk production. Wisconsin averages 145 cows per herd, that's well below the U.S. average of 234 cows per herd. But get this point, because this is not fully understood by a lot of people. 96% of the dairy farms in Wisconsin are family-owned. And Wisconsin dairy farms help fuel the state's economy at the rate of $80,000 per minute. The Wisconsin dairy industry generates $43.4 billion each year. So just a few facts about something that if you don't live on a farm or if you're not involved in production of milk or other food products, you may not realize, you may not give much time thinking about it either. 18 minutes after 5 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. Some events coming up early in the new year, and we'll be talking about those events when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Well, during my lifetime and during your lifetime, I'm sure we have seen many new industries being formed and moving into success. And one of the industries that uh, I've certainly been aware of is the uh, delivery uh, program and companies here in the United States. And a tremendous amount of uh, online ordering for the holiday season. But now those delivery services are going through a 
period of returning gifts and other items back to the U.S. retailers as e-commerce fuels an anticipated 26% year-over-year volume surge on National Returns Day. January 2nd was the busiest day for holiday returns in the United States as U.S. shoppers returned more packages than their peers around the globe, spurred by free shipping on orders and returns, and those are costly perks that squeeze profits for retailers. In our business reports this week, we were noting, for example, that United Parcels Service expected to ship 1.9 million gifts and other items back to U.S. retailers. About 10% of goods sold in the United States go back to retailers every year, resulting in roughly $369 billion in lost sales. That's according to a report that dates back to... uh, 2018 from the National Retail and uh, National Retail Federations. Apparel is an outsized contributor. Returns on some categories approach 50% due to inconsistent sizing across brands. And what a challenge it is for retailers across the country particularly those online retailers and also for companies like Federal Express and for companies like United Parcel Service, UPS, that uh, has to, well, bring them out for the holiday season and then send them back because wrong color didn't fit or whatever the reason. But really, that is an immense situation that uh, does cut into the profitability of retailers particularly who are involved in this activity. An interesting meeting coming up uh, here in January. Well, a lot of interesting meetings, but one that I find interesting because I've followed this organization for a long time, Chicago Farmers. These are people who don't live on the farm but may have inherited from a family estate or who simply wanted to have property out in the country. But it does lead to some interesting challenges for those people. So the monthly meeting coming up on January 13th, sponsored by the Chicago Farmers, they're calling it the Landlord Boot Camp. And the invitation that I received said, if you want to know more about the farming practices used on your farm now how you can best support your farmer uh, uh, tenants and do resources exist to help improve communication between you and your tenant and what are some creative ways to structure leases for the benefit of both parties well landlords and farmers Each have valuable resources that the other one needs. Working in partnership and opening the lines of communication is better for both parties and the land. And so on January uh, 13th, that's a Monday, uh, you'll have the opportunity to uh, attend the Chicago Farmers Meeting 
And uh, that will take place at uh, what was known as the Illini Center, now the Discovery Partners Institute. It's at 200 South Wacker Drive, fourth floor, the Illinois Room. And again, Monday, January 13, starting at 11.30 a.m., and lunch is a part of that program. So if you're an absentee landlord and hadn't probably planned on being a landlord, here's your opportunity to get some ideas from people who are involved as landlords and trying to work with their tenant farmers and uh, get the best of both worlds for the rental farmer and also for the landlord and the property that you now own, but probably need some help in working with. So mark it down, and uh, you can uh, uh, email www.chicagofarmers.org, all lowercase, or you can call 312-388-FARM, that's 312-388-FARM, to get involved in this program that's being sponsored by the Chicago Farmers. And, of course, a lot of other events and activities going on early in the new year. We have several shows that will, I think, you may want to attend World Ag Expo in Tulare, California. That's the big farm show of the West. I've been there several times and find it fascinating because you'll see machinery there that you won't see in the Midwest. As a matter of fact, first time I attended World Ag Expo, I'd have to stop at many of the displays and ask the people, what is this machine? I had never seen a tree shaker before, a tree shaker that uh, will shake loose the many varieties of fruits and nuts that are grown in California. Uh, So that one coming up. And of course, the Louisville Farm Machinery Show coming up. The uh, Commodity Classic also uh, online to take place early in the new year. You may want to make your traveling plans for one of those actual events. And then I keep talking about college scholarships that are available. And if you're a mom or a dad or a student that's looking at going into college, you may want to keep your eyes open for scholarships that are open for people who want to be involved in agriculture and want to study agriculture. So uh, Wisconsin Cattlemen's Association, for example, uh, applications are now open for the association's Young Producers Scholarship. That will award one candidate a scholarship in the amount of $1,500 to attend the 2020 Cattle Industry Convention and Trade Show scheduled for February 5 through 7 in San Antonio, Texas. The scholarship will be awarded to the producer in the form of a check to be allocated toward registration, educational events, lodging, and travel. So keep in mind that's one of the college scholarships available, but uh, there are many others as well. And uh, I'm delighted to see the firms and the companies that uh, put together 
scholarship programs to encourage young people to continue in the world of agriculture. And coming up uh, fairly soon, the Illinois Specialty Crop Conference will be held January 8, 9, and 10 at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Springfield. And it'll give you an opportunity to take a look at production ranging from uh, hemp, pumpkins, cut flowers, and so many other specialty crops that we do produce in the U.S. and particularly in Illinois. So again, it's January 8, 9, and 10 in Springfield at the Crown Plaza Hotel, and you can get information from the Illinois Specialty Crop Producers and uh, from the Illinois Farm Bureau. They'll have the registration information and the program information that uh, you'll be interested in hearing about. So mark that one down if you're a producer of specialty crops, and there are a lot of them in the Chicago area that do just that. We are at the four or the five thirty break here on the Saturday morning show on WGN, and we'll be back with Samuelson says. It's twenty eight minutes before six o'clock here on the Saturday morning show on WGN radio. And uh, over this holiday period, I've been working from our studio in Scottsdale, Arizona. And every time I talk about being in Arizona, I get calls or emails from people saying, well, we're coming to Arizona. Where would you suggest that we go and eat? And I go through that every year, but I'm happy to share with you, uh, well, there are a lot of great restaurants here in the Valley of the Sun, Phoenix and Scottsdale, but uh, two favorites that I've enjoyed for a long time. One introduced to me by Ron Santo, who uh, lived in Arizona when he wasn't playing baseball for the Cubs. And uh, that, of course, is an Italian restaurant that he recommended still in business. We were there last week. Tutti Santi, uh, T-U-T-T-I-S-A-N-T-I, had dinner there with uh, Dr. Bob and Cheryl Easter, President Emeritus of the University of Illinois, who is in the Valley for a couple of uh, reasons. And uh, we got together with Bob and Cheryl for dinner, had a great meal and a great time. And then the other one, that we always go to a few times, Lawns at Hermosa Inn. It's a, a beautiful restaurant with an outdoor patio that is as colorful with flowers as any outdoor patio you'll ever seen. But besides that, Jeremy Pacheco, the chef, is a farm boy from Arizona and uh, does a great job with the menu. So those are the two, and there are so many more. I don't mean to leave them out, but uh, that's in response to some emails and phone calls that I've been getting saying, what are the names of your favorite restaurants again? So there we are. We're now at 25 minutes before 6 o'clock, and we say welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and this week talking about an interesting trading history lesson. I continue to be fascinated by history and geography. 
They were my two favorite subjects in the one-room eighth-grade country school that I attended in Wisconsin. But I could only dream about seeing places in the world pictured in the books or meeting history makers who would make their mark in shaping the world. As an adult, I continue my interest in those subjects, and at the end of every year, when I clean my files, I find memories that I want to save. This year, I found a program from the 150th anniversary banquet of the Chicago Board of Trade, June 13th, 1988. I remember that event very well as guests were seated for dinner at decorated tables on the trading floor that was normally filled with arm-waving, shouting, sometimes screaming traders setting world prices for grain and other agricultural products. And let me share with you some of the notes in the printed program. Patrick Arbor was chairman, Tom Donovan was president, and in their opening statement said, This event pays tribute not only to the stunning accomplishments of our past, but most importantly to the splendid promise of our future. The board, indeed, has grown dramatically since its founding in the years between 1848 and 1877. There is mention of vigorous trading in the following commodities, rye, barley, corn, wheat, oats, wool, grass seed, cattle, hogs, hides, lard, salt, lumber, flour, fish, stone, coal, wines, lead, brick, potatoes, and butter. Trading in wheat, corn, and oats started January 2nd of 1877. Trading in soybean futures didn't start until October 5th of 1938. Soybean oil trading didn't begin until July 17th of 1950, and trading in today's popular option contracts, another risk management tool, didn't start until the mid-1980s. Now I am wondering how soon we will start trading hemp futures. Oh, and one final comment on the menu. The entree was tenderloin beef medallions. No laboratory or fake beef at that program. Have a healthy and happy new year. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. And it's a presentation of Nexstar Media Group taking us up to uh, 21 minutes before 6 o'clock here on the Saturday morning show. Uh, so many events that are coming up, but I do again want to mention the American Farm Bureau Federation. That meeting will be getting underway on January 17th and uh, will continue through the 22nd. And that's the nation's largest farm organization where they'll be discussing the challenges and the advantages of being a producer of food, fiber, and fuel. But uh, it also is kind of a reunion because a lot of people who have been going to that convention, and I've attended it many times, will not be attending this year because of the travel challenge. But anyway, uh, mark it down later this month. The American Farm Bureau determining what it would like to see in farm policy in the coming year. So 
We'll talk more about that as the time approaches. And we're going to uh, get into our weekly market discussion with a longtime good friend when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Well, every week here on the Saturday Morning Show, we have the opportunity to talk with many people who are involved in market advice, and we always enjoy sharing their knowledge with you here on the Saturday Morning Show. And uh, many of these analysts are good friends, and uh, we respect their uh, information and their intelligence on what's happening on the markets. Well, at least as much as any of us can try to figure that out, because we've suddenly gone from concern over the China-U.S. trade situation, now concern about the Middle East that certainly took its toll on all of the markets, Wall Street and uh, Board of Trade and Mercantile Exchange markets this past week. But up in uh, McHenry, Illinois, we find Paul Georgie. Paul is chairman of Allendale Incorporated, a well-respected marketing advice firm. And uh, I know, Paul, that you're not a meteorologist, but as we look ahead, can we look at weather like we experienced in 2019? Well, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities in uh, 2020. I think the uh, I'm pretty optimistic about price movement. I think we're going to see uh, see things move around, and it, it's going to come from probably weather is going to be one of them. Starting in South America, when we uh, right now we're concerned about it on a daily basis is Brazil too dry, Argentina too dry, or what is or too wet. Uh, the twos always have a factor there. And then we get further down the road in 2020, and I think we're going to definitely have an impact on uh, weather. We'll have an impact here as we uh, start to plant crops in the, in the United States. Of course, in addition to the unusual weather of 2019, we had to live with the trade concerns, particularly with China. Is there optimism on your part about the signing of Phase 1 coming up? Well, I think the optimism was there until uh, last night when we heard that uh, uh, the U.S. retaliated against the Iran leader. And I think politics will be a, a major player in the uh, the outlook in 2020. I think uh, uh, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, the uh, It changes seems to change uh, traders' attitude on a daily basis, which keeps the market in a very narrow trading range but i think with uh, with some of the outside influences like for instance the usda reports uh, that's going to continue to be a highlight as we go into 2020 politics is probably going to be number one uh, as we look forward here on this trade deal that supposedly is going to be signed uh, on uh, january 15th uh, now uh, is a concern since uh, china is a big oil user from um from iran and uh that may have an impact trade is definitely concerned about that if that's going to influence the uh, the trade deal uh as it's set here in phase one uh do you find it as unusual as i do growing up when we did that uh we didn't talk much about world affairs and events when it came to market prices for corn, wheat, soybeans, and commodities. Uh, that certainly changed, hasn't it? A lot more influences right now. 
it certainly has changed a lot, and that's a the thing that's uh, discouraging when we talk to farmers uh, and livestock producers on a daily basis. They want to talk about the fundamentals and how much corn we have or soybeans and the demand and uh, so forth and production problems and so forth. But when it all comes down to the bottom line, that's only a small factor when it when we deal with the, uh, the political ramifications and how our uh, – agriculture and food supply is now become a world uh, market and uh, we have to worry about the uh, the political attitudes uh, on a daily basis so let me take wheat corn and soybeans and ask you what you're looking for in the market prices for those commodities well we can look at corn first uh, that i think we will uh, stay in a, a trading range there i think it's going to be a very choppy market is kind of my insight right now uh as we go through 2020 i i think we will have a chance to to sell corn somewhere above the uh 450 range uh at some point in time it may not be uh uh long lasting kind of like we've seen in 2019 there there'll be fears that uh, occur and can cause us to run sharply higher and there probably will be fears that uh, cause us to sell off. And and when a producer looks at it, he's going to believe there's no real apparent reason for that sell-off. But it could be technical. It could be uh, just a liquidation of a, one side of a trade or another that could drive this thing. I think soybeans, on the other hand, uh, I'm optimistic there that we could see uh, soybeans trade potentially in the $11 to $12 range. I don't think that's out of the question. I think on the downside, we've also got a, a possible range there that we could go back to $8. So we could have a, a pretty wide range in the in soybeans. Uh, wheat, on the other hand, I, I'm probably more optimistic on wheat because it's it historically, as I've been in the business a long time, the wheat market usually gives us and leads us out of these issues and uh, the low prices. And I think uh, there is some chance there. We've got some problems with supply of wheat around the world. And uh, and I think the the wheat, you know, it's it's kind of like the sky's the limit there. When, uh, when the uh, trade gets excited about things, it can move very quickly. And, you know, anybody's guess on uh, how high it potentially could go. So then can we turn to livestock for a moment, particularly the hog market with the Chinese situation on African swine fever? Uh, are we going to benefit more from that? Well, we should benefit more. Uh, we should be. Uh, we really have got the, uh, the the largest supply, the best supply of pork in the world, and I think uh, we, can, uh, we can certainly benefit from that. I think a, a problem that we have to be concerned about in the hog industry, however, is how long this trade war lasts and how uh, how uh, easy we're going to be with, uh, with China and getting a, a deal done here. Because the longer that we uh, take to get our uh, deal completed, uh, it gives the rest of the world the opportunity to, to increase production. And especially in South America, Brazil is uh, from what I understand, increasing their livestock production dramatically, which uh, certainly is a, 
they've got the uh, the financial incentive to do, which gives China the other another market to go to other than the U.S. But uh, I think we as livestock producers, and this is a, a concern that I've got in in pork, is uh, you know we're anticipating that the Chinese have got to come to the U.S. and we're increasing our pork production dramatically because of that, and uh, if they don't come. We might have a, a tough reckoning here with uh, with price in order to use up the supplies that we're uh, we're readying for the uh, Chinese market. So then let's turn to beef because uh, there we have seen a little bit of strengthening. What do you see in the year ahead? Well, I think I'm looking for a, a choppy market there. I think the beef has got a lot more to do with the. Uh, the U.S. economy and the amount of money that uh, the consumers got to spend. Uh, Willie pay for the uh, the higher priced beef cuts, and usually with the, the strong stock market, his gives us a, a good indication that uh, beef prices can stay strong. The uh, the disadvantage that we've got right now is that uh, the warmer weather uh, has caused gains. Uh, our cattle to gain rapidly, and that is uh, increasing our supply and therefore uh, uh, keeping uh, kind of a lid on the market there as well. Uh, hopefully, price, I think prices can uh, can be good at times. Right now in the beef industry, if you just uh, was talking to a producer here this morning, that uh, if you bought the feeder cattle today with the cost of production you had today, they're putting in uh, $165 a head loss at this point in time for those feeders going into the feedlot. So not a real big incentive there, which could actually be positive down the road if we uh, slow down our uh, our placement of cattle. So let's talk about the mood of agricultural producers, because you talk to them on the phone every day. Are you also holding a lot of uh, meetings uh, with Outlook for the markets this year? We've got a bunch of them coming up. We've got our our Allendale annual uh, Outlook conference coming up here on uh, January 28th, 29th, and 30th. Uh, it'll be an online webinar-style meeting, and uh, uh, we've got a lot of people signed up for that already, and which means that they're uh, interested in what's, uh, what's going on. I think the, uh, the attitude of the producer is very good right now. Uh, I think a rally would just be a, a really good thing for everybody in agriculture if this market would fail for some reason the usda puts out a report that is not as bullish as trade thinks we could see a uh, some downward pressure here in the market uh, demand is uh, is relatively weak but i think the overall attitude of the farmer is uh, is good uh, and you know when you look at price relationships from a year over a year basis, the uh, the corn price was actually up 3.4 percent. Soybeans up 6.8 percent, and in uh, Chicago wheat was up about 11 percent uh, year over year on uh, uh, December 31st. So, uh, you know, I think the the overall attitude is good. My concern about uh, the farmer right now or the farmer situation is how many. Farmers have their bins full of grain and that haven't sold anything. Uh, now, we are running into 
two sectors there. You've got one group of farmers that are cleaning out their bins, they're moving their product, they're selling the grain at the higher basis, and and uh, they're concerned, well, what if it goes up? And then you've got the other uh, producer that has not sold anything, and he believes that prices are going to go up, and um, he wants to get the higher price for it. So there's a, there's there's kind of uh, two tiers out there, two groups, and uh, which one will be right, that, uh, that'll that be determined, I think, in, uh, in maybe even before the, uh, the March time frame, simply because um, I think a lot of trade still, a lot of producers have grain sold on basis contracts and so forth, and if we don't get that rally, they may all uh, be forced to move out of that contract by the uh, by the first of March. Finally, last question: How do people get involved in your webinar at the end of the month? Well, they just need to go to allendale-inc.com, and uh, they can. It'll be right on our homepage where they can go to to sign up for it. They can do it all online, or they can give us a call at eight hundred. Two six two seven five three eight. Give we'll me be that happy phone. to help them with any uh, questions that they might have, even about the markets. Give me that phone number one more time. It's eight hundred two six two seven five three eight. Paul, it's always a pleasure to talk to you to get your insight on what's happening in the markets. I guess I would wish that we can talk less about China-U.S. trade agreements and weather in 2020 than we did in 2019. A visit with Paul Georgie, chairman of Allendale, based in McHenry, Illinois. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the event in the Middle East this week certainly shook up markets all the way from Wall Street to agriculture. And uh, the uh, Board of Trade's most active soybean contract dropped 1.6%. That decline came after the most active contract on Thursday touched its highest price since June of 2018. But it shook up the markets. There's no question of that. And uh, as you heard from Paul a little bit earlier, the uh, situation does involve China because they are major importers of oil from the Middle East. So that could affect their economies as well. So uh, as we ended trading yesterday at the Chicago Board of Trade, I had a totally red screen on my computer. March wheat down five cents a bushel, five fifty four and a half. March corn down five and three quarters cents, ending at three eighty six and a half. In January, soybeans down fourteen and a quarter. It ended at nine dollars thirty and a half cents a bushel. And uh, of course, still impacted by the China-U.S. trade situation. Hog futures tumbled yesterday by the daily trading limit to a three-week low as rising geopolitical tensions in the Middle East triggered profit-taking. And looking at some of the buying figures on pork by China, the world's largest pork consumer, China bought 9,741 tons of U.S. pork for delivery in 2020 from December 20th to the 26th yesterday, and also canceled purchases of 13,258 tons for delivery in 2019. 
And at the end of the trading session yesterday, the uh, pork futures traded lower. The April lean hog contract down the $3 daily limit at $75.15. Cattle and feeder cattle also closed lower yesterday. The February live cattle contract down 90 cents. January feeder cattle contract down a dollar five cents. Well, our thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering work. And thank you for joining us. We look forward to this visit every Saturday in 2020 on WGN. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.